Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay, on Sunday we began to look at the story of Joseph. And we saw the account that was given to us in Psalm 105. How his life had been as though it was on a downward, you know, turn. Going down, going down, going down, going down. From started beautifully and became bad, went from bad to worse, and from worse to worse, and from worse to worstest. Hallelujah. He was, in, he was forgotten in prison. That's where he was. No hope, nothing. But we saw that while it seemed as though his circumstances had nothing going, the word of God was ticking. Praise the Lord, somebody. The word of God was taking scores and saying the time for his deliverance is near. Somebody, the time for your deliverance is nearer than you can imagine. In the name of Jesus. That's what we saw. It says, until his word came to pass and the king sent and delivered him and he was brought out and by verse 21 of that Psalm 105, he became a ruler in Egypt. He became a commander over Potiphar, his former boss. He became a commander over the prison keeper. He became in charge of everything that was in Egypt. Why? Because the word of God came to fulfillment. I pray and I desire that you will have faith to hold on until your word comes to pass. It is such a sweet thing. The songwriter sang and says, It is such fun to see. Such fun to see Satan lose. Or it's such fun to see when Jesus' victory becomes apparent in our lives. Praise the Lord. However, we learned on Sunday that as beautiful as that is, there was something he needed to do. The Bible says, until his word came to pass, we saw the other translation that says, his character was tested. Praise the Lord. And then we saw in Exodus 33 that where this place is, the place where we stay until our until comes, is what? Is a place by the Lord standing on the rock. And we said the rock can be said to be who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where we want to be. That's where you want to be. If you're waiting for the fulfillment of the word of the Lord, that is the location you must place yourself in. Common reasoning, secular reasoning, human reasoning will bid you to go and help this thing to come to pass. But you see, where, if you have raised children, if you have handled little children, you know that when you're making food for them, there is no amount of help that can help you to make the food faster. Am I right? The best help they can do is to go far, isn't it? Because a lot of hazardous things could happen. Water could pour on them, oil could pour on them. So they stay far. That makes the food to be faster. But you know, most times they don't stay far away. They want to be close. And then they delay the process. Somebody needs to receive grace. Praise the Lord. To allow the Lord perfect the things that's working out for him or her in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Okay, this evening we're going to still, you know, take that a bit and we'll take it a bit further. And we started on Sunday by saying that we, the Christian, must establish himself in the, in the comfort that God is almighty. Praise the Lord. We cannot remind ourselves of that enough. God has all power. He's omnipotent. He can do whatever he wants to do. However, he wants to do it anytime he wants to do it. Praise the Lord. Now, he has set his world in motion and there are principles that run the world. Or rather, his principles that run the world. And some of those principles involve time, involve weight, involve magnitude, involve all kinds of things. For instance, the law of gravity tells us that if something is heavy, okay, particular mass, then it cannot float in water, isn't it? But we learn that when the prophet of God needed an axe that was lost, what did he do? He exchanged an iron axe head for what? For wood. He put wood in and the water took wood. 
and give him back iron. Why? Because when God is interested in a matter, he suspends the laws of creation. Praise the Lord, somebody. So we must know that whatever circumstance, whatever situation, just like we look at our country, Nigeria now, it might look as if it's hopeless, isn't it? But there is a God in heaven who turns situation around. He turns situations around where there was crying. He can cause us to laugh even tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we, this evening we're going to pick another thing as the foundation of God. And that is the omniscience of God. We've talked about it from a different angle a couple of weeks back. But tonight we want to look at it from the point that applies to the story of Joseph. God is omniscient. God knows everything. Praise the Lord. Now for a lot of us when we hear that we are okay. That God knows the stars. The billions or zillions of stars out there. God knows the animals and the beasts and the forest and all of that. Which is true. God knows all the angels. He calls, you know, the answer to him. God knows the majestic things. But tonight, I want you to know that God also knows the little things concerning you. Praise the Lord. The Bible says he has inscribed you, not your name. He has inscribed you upon the palm. means your file, the, entire, the totality of everything about you is known to him. And it's not just known to him, he's beholding it. Praise the Lord. If you come with me to Genesis 16. Genesis 16, actually the entire chapter, when you go home, read it, you'll get the perspective where, but where I'm going to is verse 13. Now, what happened in this account is that there was a woman named Hagar. She was an Egyptian maid that Sarah had, you know, suggested that a husband Abraham would go into because they did not understand this until principle. So they were running around, praise the Lord. They were agitated. And in this family conference, they had uh, uh, Sarah suggested, let's get somebody and make this thing happen quick. God has spoken, hasn't he, that we're going to have a child. Let's have the child. This is acceptable under the customs of their time. So she, you know, advised Abraham and Abraham bought the idea and Hagar got pregnant. And the moment this Hagar conceived, she began to despise her madam. And do you blame her? You don't blame her. For how many years you and this man have been together, nothing happened. You know, I, she just came in, bam, something happened. That proves what? She is better. Yeah, yeah. So, position should change. Anyway, Sarah got very angry and began to maltreat Hagar. And Hagar could not bear it anymore. And she ran away from Abraham's house and from Sarah's house. Now, when she ran away from from the house. The Bible says, verse 7. Okay, let me read 6. So Abraham said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. She fled from Sarah's presence. Now, verse 7 says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, look at it now. The angel called her name, isn't it? What's the next thing he says? Sarai's maid. So he knew where she was running from. That was detailed. And he said, where have you come from and where are you going? In other words, what are you doing here? You should be there. And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. We'll just speak this quickly. It's not every difficult situation we should run from. Some of them we should submit to. Praise the Lord. Anyway, so the angel continued and said, I'm going to multiply your descendants exceedingly. I wish they didn't do that. That's Boko Haram. That's bandit. That's all of the problem we are having. So, <laughs> you know, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel said to her, Behold, you're with a child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. You know, because the Lord has heard the affliction. Look at verse 12. He says what? You know, I love the word of God because it's true in what? It's so true. It is true, true. It's, look at, you shall be a mother, you have a child, but this is the son you're going to have. Maybe if she had a bit of discernment, she would have been, let me not have this child. Look at this description of this child. It says, he shall be what? A wild man 
what again? His hand shall be against every man. Are we seeing it? You see, if you go around the world, you know Christians have been persecuted all over the world. But Muslim, Islam is fighting everywhere. Everywhere you find them, what do you see? You see them creating some major, all parts of the world. But this is what scripture says. It says his hand shall be what? Against every man. And what's the other one? It says every man's hand against him. That's what you find now with Boko Haram going to mosque. This, they say they are against um, um, Christians and all of that. Why are they against themselves also? Because the word of God will be fulfilled. He says he's, they are just, I, mean, I don't know what else. Okay? So, and he says he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now, this is a detailed, you know, a, a revelation of this Hagar's life by the angel. And they shot her. Because I believe from her basic understanding in the house of her master, she would have known that her master was the one that had a covenant. Her master was the one who had something they must have told her. God spoke to your boss or to your guy and all of that. So she would have been following this family that God spoke to. But little did she know that the God of Abraham also knew who Hagar was. And that was what shocked her. And in verse 13, let's read 13. 13, she says, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. What? You are the God who sees. That is what I want you to get tonight. God sees every pain, every situation, every circumstance, every word spoken to you. Do you know that God hears it? That's why he can say to you, do not avenge yourselves. Give place to what? Wrath. When you're angry, God knows you why you're angry. And that's why he says, give place to wrath. He didn't say you should have no reason to be angry. He says, take it and what? Keep it somewhere. Why? I can handle that matter better than you. Praise the Lord, somebody. So God is saying to you and I tonight, establish that I know. God knows we're in Nigeria. God knows we're in Abuja. God knows those who are watching us from different parts of the world. God knows everywhere you are. And his word that is coming to you knows where you are and is coming to you in spite of that. Why? Because that word works everywhere. It says, heaven and earth shall what? Pass away, but not a jot, not a teacher. Nothing in this world will make the word of God to have question. It says, this word will surely one come to fulfillment. So we establish that, that the God we serve is the God who does what? Who sees. He's the God who sees. He's totally, fully in the know. And it's based on some of this, you know, or based on this revelation that our Lord Jesus will tell us when we come to pray, let us be careful so that we don't act apart. God knows even the things that you have need of before you begin to pray. Praise the Lord. And that's why we begin to pray teaching us. It says, our Father which are the heaven, what? hallowed be your name. So if you want to interpose this revelation with that first statement, you're saying that first line of prayer. Say, Lord, be hallowed in my circumstances. You see, many of us have not had faith to take that prayer in because we think that when we come to God, there is an emergency. God, look at. God, see. God, this. God, this. But you see, if you come to the terms that he already knows, then you can come to him and say, Daddy, be glorified. Praise the Lord. Because from where you came out from, he saw. Where you're going, he sees. He knows where you're working. He knows the name of the place. He knows that your landlord is putting pressure. Or he knows that you as a landlord is putting pressure. He knows the people that are owing you that you did contract for. He knows all of that. And Jesus, our Lord Jesus says, start your prayer like this. Our Father which are in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. Do you know that in heaven where God is, there is no emergency? Where God is, people are not running helter-skelter. Everybody close to God, do you know what they do all the time? They don't say prayers in heaven. You know what they do? They are just worshipping him. You know what? He has everything in control. It's only here on earth that we've not seen that. And when you see it, that's what it becomes for you. You realize that most of your prayer the greater percentage portion of your prayer will be worship. You know, someone was telling us uh, over the weekend that he has a neighbor that prays for two hours. And for that two hours, this person is reporting everybody, his wife, his children, you know, to God and, you know, just binding all the enemies and all of that. 
it's okay because it depends on how close he is to God. You see, when you're very far from somebody or from some place, you can misjudge the things you see. But the closer you get to God, you will know that the greatest thing you need when you come to God is to worship him. Because he has it what? Under control. He sees, he knows. Praise the Lord, somebody. So, so we see that, that the God we worship is the God who sees. Now, if this God, this our God, which we believe in, sees, then we must begin to put a few things together. One of the things we're going to understand, which we've learned here before, is that faith and patience are Siamese twins. I hope you know that. Now, the job of the church is not to hasten the patience and convert it to fast food. No. The job of the church is to train you so that you can have that patience and have it well. You see, the life, the story of Joseph, we say it is like a case study. And this man did a wonderful job in Potiphar's house. If I were on his case and I were part of those who determine his outcome, in the moment he became steward, manager of Potiphar's house, what will you do? You say, just take him to the palace. He's ready. He's ready. He's ready. But you see, that wasn't what happened. When he finished the custody of Potiphar's house, what did they do? They took it a step higher. Now, they, they play all kinds of games now. But when we were growing up, the type of games we played was when monkey is catching, a, they're, throwing a, they're throwing nuts. What, what, what are the names of those games? Anybody who played it here? So, some of those names. Those games are somebody is moving and is catching things. When you finish one and finish it well, you know what happened? It says stage two. And then they begin to throw things. Now, you have to catch this one. That, that was what they did to Joseph. When he passed the exam of Potiphar's house, they said, okay, we are going to take you to master's, postgraduate studies. And what, how, the first step of this is that they had to do a test. Whether he qualified, they did a post, what's it called, post-UTME. Uh-huh. They said, first of all, let's see if, if, whether we even take him to prison at all. Because if he had fallen for Potiphar's wife temptation, he wouldn't go to prison. You know, he would have actually possessed some form of inheritance in Potiphar's house. But you know the implication of that. The implication of that is that you will never know his name. I will never know his name. On Sunday, we mentioned something that when you pursue survival things, when you pursue needs, purpose will be aborted. But when you pursue purpose, like we see in the case of Joseph, finally needs will be met. Now, what happens when you accomplish purpose is that your name lasts for generations. The Bible telling us of Moses says he chose rather to what identified with the children of Israel, suffering afflictions with the people of God, than what enjoying the passing pleasures of Egypt. Now, if he had identified with Egypt, he would have enjoyed, he would have been successful. Maybe a Pharaoh or maybe a second to Pharaoh or one of that. But you know what? Nobody will know his name. How many Pharaohs do you know their names? You will never know his name. But when you fulfill purpose, okay, how many of us know Thomas Edison? He did things. Okay, so life is simple. You can make a choice to be like, you know, the shooting star or whatever, uh, or the Christmas light. That, uh, what was that thing called? That stick, that the light. And it just, you know, shines and sizzles and it goes off. That's the end of it. But you can decide to be a star that will shine in the brightness of the firmament for how long? Forever. It's a choice. It's a choice you make. And every situation you're in is bidding you. Do you want to pursue the path of purpose or do you want to shine for a moment? Many of us have friends, you know, family, distant, close, other way, or classmates that you know have chosen the path of immediate shining. Some people that have decided, sister, uh, uh, babe, how do girls talk to themselves? Babe, my father is poor, my brothers are poor, I will not do anything with a poor man. They go with a man that has seven wives, they become the ninth. There's one man that has been changing wife like singlet since. I, I hear he's on the ninth one or so. <laughs> Now, now, as we, you're laughing, some people are already queuing up. What is their own? This man has money. Nothing else matters. They want to follow him. Okay? But you see, it's a choice everybody makes for themselves. Anyway, so God will make sure that the test of faith and patience, we must pass through it. And why that is important 
is that what God wants to do with us, just like any man, when you have, you, you have two cars or you have one car or whatever, depending on where you use that car will determine how you maintain the car. Am I right? If you have a car that moves you just, you know, uh, two miles distance or one mile, you know, you, have you seen those vehicles they use for transportation within campus? When you see those vehicles, you know that those vehicles, if they exceed 60 kilometers per hour, different paths will fall off. But they serve their purpose because they're just going from Abuja and uh, what was old campus to, you know, local runs. But if you see a vehicle that is going to go far, before the journey, the owner will take it. They'll do wheel balancing. They will do this one. They'll do alignment. They will check this one. They'll check that. Why? He wants to depend on it for a long journey. Why God would put you and I through the test of faith and patience is that he wants to commit eternal things into our hands. Praise the Lord, someone. And besides that, do you know that the parable, or rather the story our Lord Jesus Christ told on, concerning the parable of the talents, when he said, you have been faithful over little, I'll give you much. Do you know that literally that under the 1,000 millennial reign of Christ, we're going to rule nations. So depending on how you pass the test, God might give you um, Sambisa to rule. But you might pass the test so well, God might give you Singapore to rule. Which one do you want to rule? Depending on how you rule. Praise the Lord, somebody. So, so, so that is going to be there. So wisdom is that we study, we make effort, we give attention to master this thing. So you want to master faith. Faith in the church has been preached. Everybody knows a bit of the way what faith is. Faith helps you to obtain. Praise the Lord. Even though the Bible says by faith they obtain what? A good testimony. Okay, but it helps you to claim things, to receive the things that have been freely given. Because without faith, it's impossible, okay, to even transact with God at all. So, by faith, we understand that the things which are impossible with man are what? Possible with God. By faith, we can receive what we didn't work for. By faith, we can earn things that, you know, men will look at us and say, no, you never deserve this. That is what faith does. But the other part of it is patience. Patience is key. And that is what you see in Joseph. Now, patience is different from, from uh, 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 which word will I use now? P- patience is different from, 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 from um, when, when incarceration. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You, you know when somebody is put in prison and the judge says, you're going to be sentenced to 13 years imprisonment. Now, the person is not patient for 13 years. The person is agitated behind bars. After 13 years, if they open the gates of the prison, what does he do? He runs out. He has not been patient for 13 years. He has been incarcerated for 13 years. But someone who is patient for 13 years is in a place and the door is open. Praise the Lord. The door is open, but he doesn't go away. He's waiting for a signal. Now, for that person to be in a place and the door is open and he doesn't go out, you know what keeps in there? What keeps in there is the, some of the things we mentioned and so on. But part of it is understanding that there is something I'm waiting for. It's just like many of us have been at the airports or bus parks or wherever, you, you know, however means you travel. And you don't get to the airport or bus park and the first boarding announcement you hear, you carry your bag and go. That's what somebody who is incarcerated will do. You just want to get out of this lounge. But someone who has patience knows this flight is going this way, that flight is going this way, that flight is going this flight. Our flights have been going. But you know what? My flight has not been announced. That's the difference. That's the difference. The man of patience knows that he has a word that has what? Gone ahead of him. And he's waiting for that word to come. So what helps us with this is this. First of all, or rather, you know, there is a, a principle I call the permit principle. The permit principle. In Matthew 13, Matthew 13, 13 to 15, but 15 in particular, our Lord Jesus came in at the beginning of his ministry and met with John the Baptist for baptism. John the Baptist was baptizing. And John the Baptist said, ah, no, 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 no. No. 
Matthew 3, sorry, Matthew 3, 13. And John the Baptist said, no, no, no. I, I can't baptize you. You are the one that should baptize me. Now, what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, I'm a sinner? No, Jesus didn't say no. Jesus said, permit it what? To be so for now. If you don't get anything from church tonight, get this. There are some things that will be allowed. But look at that word, for now. What is now? It's until. And the key word there is permit. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Praise the Lord. You see, this will help you answer questions. And those questions, particularly for yourself. There are circumstances you see yourself in. And you look around and you know this is not right. It's not everything that is not right that you fight. There are some things you permit. It was not right. It was not proper. It didn't make any sense that John the Baptist would baptize Jesus. Jesus baptized him with the Holy Ghost as a, as in the womb, as a fetus. So how can you now baptize him in water? Do you understand? But in the agenda of God, there are some things that are allowed. There are some things that are allowed. And that's what we saw in Joseph. It was allowed that he went down. They said he, they put his feet in fetters. They bound him in logs. It shouldn't be. This man should be getting an award. But the word says, permit it what? To be so for now. There are some of us in situations, financial, emotional, you know, whatever it is. And you, it doesn't make sense. This is not, the, the steps you took should not have brought you here. But that's where you are. Now, if you believe in God, tonight he seemed to me to tell you what, permit it what, to be so for now. But I mentioned the keyword permit. Let, let me back that up if, so I don't miss it by any means. Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 7 to 11. The, the, the Bible tells us about a principle in the Word of God, and it's about difficulties. Hebrews 12 from verse 7. It says, can we read it together, please, everyone? If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Ten now. For indeed, for a few days, chased, for they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be what? Partakers of his holiness. Now, eleven says, now no chastening seems to be what? Joyful for the present, but painful. Hold it. Every chastening is what? Painful. Every chastening. Nobody will come and tell you here that it's better to wait for long. I mean, if we had a way, that's why we, who doesn't have microwave here? If you had your way, you will have the food ready in seconds. Praise the Lord. They told us microwave is not healthy. I hope you read that. That it you know, causes all kinds of things. But nobody has thrown away their microwave because speed doesn't kill in the kitchen. Speed might kill on the express, but in the kitchen, oh no, <laughs> speed is good. Okay, so it says, no chastening is what? Joyful for the present, but painful. Now, the second part says, nevertheless, afterward, he yields what? The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want you to see something there, very important. Every chastening is painful. But not every chastening is profitable. That is where the patience comes in. Because when I'm emphasizing this is it. Many of us have gone through repeated cycles of chastening. And we have, we have no profit from it. Look at what he says there. To those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. That word trained means you submitted to it. Willing to learn. Where there is training, there is learning. You see, I can punish you, I can discipline you, and you resist that process. When it is over, you would have gone through the pain, but you would not have learned anything. This is the problem a lot of us have. So, 
difficulties. Ah, they've seen. Some of us, financial difficulties. We've seen it. We've seen it. But the challenge is that we've never learned the lesson. Because every time it came, we were kicking. We were fighting it. Emotional, different things. Okay? You know, someone was telling me, um, I think this person may have led. Someone was telling me about a friend that he had that was fat, but in a day, he said that if the person, he used to stop by on his way, on his way home and buy next bread. Next bread is very sweet and very heavy. I don't know what they put in that bread, whether they put cement inside or something. It's very sweet and heavy. He said this, you know, man not so young will buy it with coke and finish it before he gets home. You know? And finish it. I'm sure he finishes it before he gets home so that he can eat the one that the wife cooked at home. Okay? Such a person, after a time, he got very ill. I want to believe he has learned. But you see, some people don't learn. Chastening, life will hurt you. Praise God. Life will hurt you. Anyhow, life will hurt you. It will hurt you. It will touch you. And it will be painful. But pain does not guarantee gain. What is the key there? It is training. What makes, what changes pain, unprofitable pain to profitable pain? Is attitude. Is attitude. That's why you take a man, a woman, any young person, throw the person to the military, and they begin to beat him, to do all kinds of things. But as time goes on, you don't find a bitter officer. You find a disciplined officer. Why? Because he has submitted to the training of the military. He didn't say these people are just beating me, beating me. I can't wait to to become an officer. No. When the whole thing is done, when you see the person, he speaks less. He comports himself better. What has happened? The pain, the pain, the discipline, he has learned from it and become trained. And then it becomes profit to him. It's the same thing it should be to the Christian. There are some persons that are listening to me now. There was a season in your life you were praying. You would not even, you would not allow, if you see anything that it doesn't look very godly, you cover your eyes or you stop your ears. Because maybe for that season, the devil was allowed to do some, you know, things around you. The moment that time passed, if there was need for prayer, let them pray. A man wrote and he said, if you pray only when you're in trouble, he said you're in trouble. So people have traveled, have been zealous for the things of God in seasons of trial. The reason that trial came was so that you can acquire that discipline. When the trial passes, maintain it. If not, you didn't, you were not trained. It means they have to bring another pain for you to respond the same way. Some of us have trained dogs or pets. At the time of training, what do you do? You beat the dog little, right? And show the dog what to do. After some time, you don't need to beat the dog. You just say to the dog, sit. And the dog says, you say to the dog, out. When the dog wants to, you know, pull, it will go out on its own. You're not beating it again. You know why? The dog has been trained. But if the dog does not learn, you will keep beating it all the time. Praise the Lord. And that is what we see in Joseph's life. That's why when he went to prison, they were watching him. And the attitude he had in Potiphar's house, he replicated it completely. He was committed everything in the prison. He became in charge. And they said, this boy has been trained. It's time to lift him. That's where many Christians fail. We don't submit to trade. We escape everything. And you know, today is a you know, system where churches, people, every pastor is happy when somebody comes in. Very soon we're going to put a notice. If you're offended with your pastor, go away because you'll be offended with me. People are just escaping from different places. Why? Because they will refuse to submit to discipline. Scold somebody, immediately he runs out. Whereas heaven has seen that this trait in you, like we said on Sunday, is preventing you from hitting the destiny God has for you. And when the doctor touches it, you run away. Run to another place. They start treatment afresh. Finally, they'll still, if God wants to do it and you want it to be done, they'll still touch that same area. So the earlier you submit, 
Praise the Lord. It says, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit. If you see Christians that have been trained, when you see them, they don't talk about age. They don't talk about who is older. They, they don't talk who... Listen, do you know when the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? Now, do you know what it means to look unto Jesus? How many of us have been insulted before? Someone really insulted you. Really, really insulted you. Okay, praise God, you've been insulted. Yes, my baby has been insulted. <laughs> okay, they've insulted you. Now they say, looking unto Jesus, okay? So you're a man. Maybe it's even your boss that insulted you. So in number one, you're not even a boss. Abby? Uh-huh. Someone insulted you. They say, looking unto Jesus. So put Jesus by the side. You know, this morning I was praying, and I remember that they pulled Jesus' beard. Now, the person who insulted you was your boss. Or let's even say it wasn't your boss. It was your colleague. It means your mate insulted you. Who insulted Jesus? Men that he created. Now, if they look at that matter very well, the issue, you probably deserve, maybe you didn't deserve 100% of the insult. Maybe just 15%. If for nothing, you were in that environment. Abby, look at Jesus. Where should he be? He should have been in heaven, receiving the worship of the angels and the 20 and 4 elders. But he left there and came down here, being found in appearance as a man. He took the form of a bond, and men were able to touch him. You see, if men were like Jesus, even if they came on earth, if any man tries to touch them, the type of electric shock. <laughs> Do you understand? And he took all of that. And they say, looking unto him. You know, this is what we go to church to learn. We go to church to look at Jesus so that we'll know how we can live our own lives. You know, people come and tell you, you don't deserve that. Whenever people tell me that, the Spirit of God will say, don't mind them. They want to blow you up. We had an experience many years ago when early Christians were doing workers training. And I think we had to do um, homiletics as part of the training. So there was this Young man, you know, amongst us in the training, who we all like. So when he was going, we're all hailing him, you know, we're all praising him. And the guy stood in front of us, opened his Bible. He couldn't talk again. We're all surprised because we thought he was going to preach a storm. Ah, the guy couldn't talk. After he came and said, ah, now I know that flattery is dangerous. Let no man praise you. He learned a lesson. He learned a lesson. Anytime people try to push you up, be careful. Be careful because every puffing off is so that the fall will be very loud. And conversely, anytime people try to put you down, look up to God. Because possibly they know that the time of your rising has come. Praise the Lord, somebody. So we are trained. We are trained. And that training is what gives us patience. And patience is stability. Patience makes a man know that he knows such that he doesn't even need to see it today. He knows someday he will see it. You're trusting of a life partner. Patience means you are carrying yourself. Do you know that the wedding of the man to you as a woman, actually, I mean, please don't misunderstand, actually a bit of degrades you. You are the bride of Christ. You can't marry one man that will be disturbing you. Go and cook this thing. Then you finish cooking. You say, no, it's this one that I want. Go and wash this thing. Go and be sending you up and down. It's okay to do it for a season. Do you understand? But your glory is that you're the bride of Christ. Do you understand what I mean? This is where you are seated. So when you embrace that revelation of who you are in Christ, it's the same thing talking about worldly prosperity. There's nothing wrong with that. If we get it, I mean, we make use of it. The Bible talks about us using this world. Okay? So the more money you have... The truth is that if you're a child of God, the more good you can do. But it should not cause the believer to lose sleep. You know why? The Bible says all things are what? Yours. Yours. All things. Everything belongs to you. As a child of God, you may not be able to write a check and claim every money in the bank, but in Christ Jesus, you're a joint heir with him. Everything belongs to you. In time to come, you'll be able to control them. So why should you lose sleep? Praise the Lord. Why should you lose sleep? 
Somebody is infirm in the body and you're so downcast or the doctor has given you a report and you're afraid. Why are you afraid? The Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul speaking, since we are laboring, we want to remove this tent. Not that we want to be tentless. Not that we want to be bodiless. We want to put off what? Mortality that we might what? Put on immortality. That should give you patience. Praise the Lord. So the permit principle, with this understanding we know, we smile like those Jaffas in Chinese movies because they know that they train the one who trained this one that trained this boy. So this boy that is moving about like this, they know that they won't even use hand. They'll just use shoulder and finish you. That's what patience does to the believer. You just know that God is in control. Praise the Lord, somebody. And that is coming. The next thing we also pick that helps us, you know, to perfect this patience is the resurrection pattern. I've referred to it in brief. He said, looking unto Jesus. Praise God. Another key thing you pick from tonight's message is looking unto Jesus. Everything that comes your way, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Praise God. Look at Jesus. And the part we're going to pick now is Philippians 2. We mentioned it. Philippians 2 from verse 5 says, let this mind be in you. What mind should be in me? He says, the mind which was also what? In Christ Jesus. What about him? He says he was in the form of God. He was in the form of God. Now, he was God. But what? He didn't consider it something to be grabbed. He didn't, con- he, he, he didn't consider it something that he had to hold on to, lest he lose. Okay? He didn't. Why? Because he was sure that the glory, our Lord Jesus praying in John 7, said to the Father, he says that you may restore to me the glory that I had with you. Before time began. That's an understanding of the resurrection. When you got born again, you received the right to be addressed as what? As a child of God. You received the passport, the citizenship, the sonship. Now, nothing in this world, no experience in this world can take away that from you. Praise the Lord. That's why the Bible is so sweet and so complete. The Bible says to slaves, I can imagine if they brought this gospel, you know, the preachers of today preached in those days. Paul writing to slaves says, where you saved a slave. He said, don't try to, don't struggle to, to become a free man. You know what? He says, because the slave in Christ is the Lord's freed man. Then he says to those who are free, he says, if you're free, that's Okay. The free man in Christ is the lost slave. You see, Christ changes everything and makes it beautiful. Praise the Lord. So the resurrection principle will continue. It says, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself. Know that word. He was not made. He made himself. This is Christianity, people of God. All those self-promotion all those, you know, self-enlightenment, if you, call, if you will call me, if you make the mistake of just calling me uh, Brother Ikenna, then I will, you know, the anointing on me will deal with you. What? You didn't put Archbishop? You didn't put uh, Doctor? I mean, maybe I know no book. Maybe that's why, but you didn't put all the titles? He said he made himself of no reputation. Nobody did that to him. He made himself. How much of yourself are you making of no reputation? God will help also. Because they said this is the mind that was in Christ. Okay? He says, taking the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, look at this next one again. What did he do? He humbled himself. Humility is one of the things that the Bible advises us to do ourselves. It's better when you do it yourself. Praise the Lord. Most times when you see it, they tell you, you say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Jesus humbled himself, okay? And became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Now hold it there. This is where we see Joseph again. He must have thought of the consequences of fleeing naked. But he was just being obedient. He was just being obedient. 
You see, when my obedience begins to be measured side by side with consequences, I need help. Because obedience should take me anywhere it wants to take me. I become obedient. That's what he said. He became obedient even to the point of that. That's why we're told in Hebrews 12, none of us had yet resisted unto bloodshed, striving against him. The, the same Hebrews 12 is saying, looking unto Jesus. That's what we're looking. And it says, death of the cross. But look at verse 9. Let's all read it. What? Therefore, God what? also had what? Highly exalted him. This is what we all want. This is what we read in the story of Joseph. God has also highly, it is the resurrection pattern for every believer. Anytime it seems as though the world is burying you, if you hold on, this God who sees, this God who knows, this God who loves you, this God who did not call you to shame, this God who says that those who wait on him will never be put to shame. This God will raise you up. And you see, the resurrection pattern is saying that you have to be in a state where it looks like you're dead. Looks like you're dead. It means that place. <laughs> Let me tell you what that place looks like. If God doesn't do it, nothing is done. I believe some of us are there now. <laughs> but the Lord is speaking to you. He says, I'm going to come. Praise the Lord. If God doesn't do it, nothing will be done. If God doesn't turn it around, nothing will be done. Why? It is a death. It's the resurrection pattern. But provided you went through that process, he assures us, and this is what the Bible teaches us, this is what the Bible continues to teach us, that God in Christ is walking the same thing. We become the first fruit. Isn't it? What the first fruit goes, the others come like him. So he has come and this is the party too. He went down, God raised him. You in your circumstance or that situation, you allow yourself in obedience to God to go down. God will not abandon you. Let's rise on our feet. Let's rise on our feet. You've been faithful, Lord, from the ages past. That is why your name is Joseph. I want you to remember Daniel. I want you to remember Abraham. From the saints of old. He's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. From generation past. From generation past. From generation past. He shows up. He shows up. He redeems. He restores. He rebuilds. He rewards. He turns things around. If you have your Bibles, you might want to pick it up. It's a very important passage of the Bible to me. And I believe it will be to you. 
Psalm 37. We'll read from verse 1 to 7. It says, okay, let's personalize it. Let me see if I can personalize it. I will not fret because of evildoers. Repeat after, I will not fret because of evildoers. Nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass. And wither as a green herb. I will trust in the Lord. And do good. I will dwell in the land. And feed on his faithfulness. I will delight myself also. In the Lord. And I know. He will give to me. The desires of my heart. I commit my way to the Lord. And I trust in him. And he shall bring it to pass. Verse 6 says. He shall bring forth our righteousness as the light and our justice as the noonday rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him verse 6 says the the, the Lord gave me this many years ago I think it was around the same you know homiletics thing it was getting to the time where I should it was Bible college this time around where I should go and do my presentation of sermon my page was blank I had not written anything. All I had written was the format they told me. Intro, text, or whatever. It was blank. And I was right behind the hall, crying to the Lord. Lord, ah, give me what to preach. And he just led me. He says, he shall commit your way to the Lord. Trust also and he will bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the noonday. Brothers and sisters, I stood before the class with almost blank shit. And I didn't know how he gave me what to say. When I finished, they were asking me, where is your paper? Let us see. There was nothing to show them. You're here tonight. God is sending the same word to you. You may have no justification. But he says, I will bring forth your righteousness to the light. It means the thing that I had with you in secret, I will make it known in the open. In the name of Jesus. He said, your justice as the noonday. You know, some persons are there explaining. He says, I'll make it clear to all. I want you to lift up your voice and say, Lord, I trust in you. I wait on you. That is what you do. You bring forth our righteousness as the light. All of a sudden, it will make sense. All of a sudden, the questions that were asked, there will be an answer. All of a sudden, they said, truly, he was waiting on the Lord. Truly, she was waiting on the Lord. Truly, they were waiting on the Lord. I want you to tell the Lord, I will wait on you. I will not fret because of those who bring evil schemes to pass. People by my left, people by my right, they've been devising their ways and their means of solving their problems. But tonight, Lord, I'm saying, I will wait on you. I will trust in you. You, oh Lord, be my justifier. You, oh Lord, be my justification. Be the glory and the lifter of my head. Let it be said, God had done wonderful things. God had visited him. God had visited her. God had intervened for them. In the name of Jesus, I need you to talk to the Lord. Tell him I trust in you. That is what you do. That is what you do. I will trust in you. I will wait on you. For you shall bring it to pass. You will fulfill your word concerning me. You will fulfill your promise concerning me. You will confirm me as your child. For I have no other. In heaven I have no one. And on earth there is none that I look to. But you. You are my God. 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 And I will. I will. Trust in you. I will wait on you. Thank you, Lord, my God. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus Christ's name we'll pray. Praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah.